You've probably heard the old joke or maybe heard me tell it. The pastor who used to be very meticulous about manuscripting sermons. And, of course, it takes a lot of, week, a lot of work to do that every week. And finally, he just got tired of it. And he just decided, I'm not going to do any preparation. I'm not going to do any research. I'm not going to write anything down. I'm just going to walk in that pulpit and, and let the Spirit of the Lord speak to me. And so he got up on Sunday morning and he got in the pulpit and he heard the Spirit of the Lord say, you should have prepared. <laughs> now, I do have a manuscript, okay? But I woke up this morning and I thought I really need the Spirit to cut in pretty heavily about page three, second paragraph to get this sermon across the finish line, okay? Well, um, January is uh, traditionally a time to talk about baptism. Uh, baptism of the Lord's Sunday was technically actually last Sunday, but we're doing it this Sunday. Uh, our theme and our focus is baptism. And after the sermon, we're going to do uh, a traditional thing, which is a renewal of our covenant of baptism, a time to remember and embrace and uh, dedicate ourselves once more to our baptism. Last Sunday I talked about sort of the general concept of covenant. The idea of our lives being bound together with each other and with God. That's a covenant. Uh, today I want to speak more specifically about the covenant of baptism. And begin with the old saying that baptism means everything that water means. What does baptism mean? Well, it means everything that water means. And water means many things. Now, I've always loved the water. I, I love to swim. I love boating. I love fishing, kayaking, you name it. Being near or on the water has always restored my soul. Which is a small wonder considering how I learned how to swim. When I was about five years old, my dad managed the city swimming pool to make extra money in the summer. And my older sister was one of the lifeguards. And so, again, I'm about five years old. One evening, my sister decided I needed to learn how to swim. And so after hours, she took me down into the shallow end and spent what, in my memory, seems like five minutes of how to do a basic stroke. And then she took me around to the deep end, took me out on the diving board, and threw me off. And I swam to the side, and that was the beginning and the end of my only swimming lesson. <laughs> In spite of it, I still loved and do love the water. And so I, I easily forget how terrifying water can be for some people, and particularly in the ancient world. In the ancient world, there was no live color, Doppler, radar. There was no five-day weather forecast. The hurricane, without warning, could suddenly be upon you. The flood sweeping you away without expectation. I never will forget, Brenda and I uh, did a little vacation on South Padre Island. Turned out to be uh, when Hurricane Andrew was coming across South Florida, was, I think 1992. And so we're keeping a close watch on the Weather Channel. And because its original track was to, 
was was heading towards South Padre, and everybody was kind of ready to jump and go. And so I uh, I got up right at sunrise, and I turned on the weather, and it said that Hurricane Andrew was turning in towards Mississippi and Alabama. And then I walked out on the balcony. We were in a fifth floor condo, and I walked out on the balcony and the entire beach was just gone that there was the the water the waves there were these huge waves pounding up against the seawall in front of our our building and and I just was stunned you know I grew up on the Brazos River and and I was just stunned that that this thing that was 600 miles away could push the whole western half of the Gulf of Mexico up against the land like that. Water has great power. Water can be destructive. Water can kill, but water can also restore, refresh, give, and sustain life. Baptism means everything that water means. And water is in the Bible from beginning to end. Water first appears in the very second verse of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, there's water symbolizing chaos and threat. Water is in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, the river of life flowing from the temple. Israel is saved by the waters of the Red Sea, sustained by the water from the rock and the desert. They enter the promised land through the parted waters of the Jordan River. Forgiveness is preached by John the Baptist in the waters of the Jordan. Jesus is baptized in the waters of the Jordan. Jesus is the living water. Baptism means everything that water means. In the waters of baptism, the old sinful self is destroyed. In the waters of baptism, new life is given. A new beginning is promised. And the promise of that new beginning is what I want to focus on. The promise of a new beginning. Out of the waters, out of the chaos, comes a new beginning. Genesis chapter 1, the creation story. The story of creation begins with chaos. Chaos in the form of water. The water is dark, formless, disorderly. It is a world that seems ominous, threatening, destructive, unmanageable. Hello. Let me repeat that. A world that seems threatening, destructive, and unmanageable. Why? We are not told. We are not told why it is the way it is. We are not told why there is chaos in the world. The text does not seem to be curious about why it is. It just simply is. Okay? There's a lot of that in the Bible. Not a lot of why. This is just how it is. Okay, David, David Weimers is here. Okay, I got to tell this story, David. Okay, so back in the summer, the Garden of Eden, okay? And there was this big, beautiful plant that was a bean plant and kind of purplish blue, right? And my wife looked it up and she said, those beans are kind of poisonous. Okay, it's just one beautiful plant and so David's down there one day and I go David why why in the garden of Eden 
is there a dangerous plant? Are you with me? Okay. Why is there this beautiful, tempting, but dangerous tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden? And David just kind of laughed. I don't know. <laughs> and I said, come on, help me out. This is an existential crisis for me here. Okay. I, I, David never could give me a good why question. And I was just teasing with him. But it's like that in the creation story, right? Why? Why is this forbidden tree in the garden? It doesn't tell you why. Why is there chaos in the world? It doesn't tell you why. But it just says what? On the first day, God. In the beginning, God. God speaks and orderliness begins to spread across the chaos. Who is this God? Where did this God come from? Where did the origins? So many other religions have stories about how this God was born or so on and so forth. Here we're just not told. Again, the text is not curious. It is simply God. God speaks. There's no cosmic battle. There's no Cecil B. DeMille Technicolor extravaganza. God is so totally in control that all God has to say is a word. And the word comes into being. God speaks. God creates. Order and goodliness appear. The chaos is subdued. God speaks. Let there be light. And there is light. Life cannot be all darkness. We need and we welcome the light. But notice that it's not a battle. Some cosmic battle between light and dark. The dark is needed too in its own way. The light has value. But the darkness is not condemned or rejected. As Walter Brueggemann writes, both are named, both are given. Legitimacy, both belong to the ordered world of God. Both prized, neither scorned. The day of astonishing beginning anticipates the balanced, ordered, reliable world of seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, all that will make a viable, guaranteed home. For all of God's creatures. Note that God is not rushed. God is not anxious. God is not at war. God simply takes what is the chaos. The waters of chaos. And in buoyant ordering. Summons a balanced. Life permitting order. Why God does this is also not the interest of the text. It is not explained. It is simply described. The chaos is transformed into a, a beautiful home. It is the gift of God to all God's creatures. A new beginning is the gracious gift of God. Okay. Sounds good, right? So what? So what does that have to say to our world of seemingly chaos? What does that have to say to our world of impeachments, and violent anger, hate, polarization, so much fear of the neighbor. What does this have to say to us? Genesis chapter 1, the creation story over the centuries. This story has fascinated and repulsed. Has been taken literally and rejected wholly. Has been used and abused in so many ways. Some claim it is science. Some claim it is just a fable. 
Many scholars argue that it's not just about how, it's not about how or why, but who. A theological statement that tells us something about who God is and our relationship with God. Who we are, who God is. And I think all that's true, but I would put to you that this story is primarily pastoral. It is written less for our intellect and more for our fearful, worried, anxious hearts. The story is not intended to explain. The story is intended to encourage and assure. Many biblical scholars think that maybe this story, perhaps told around the campfire for centuries, was finally written down in its present form during the Babylonian captivity. Israel thought that they stood on foundations that would last forever. But those foundations were now gone. Israel thought that the things they thought would always be reliable. And there for them forever. Had been taken away. They are economic slaves in a foreign and pagan empire. The temptation I'm sure during that time would have been to maybe give up or maybe just give in or maybe to just stop trying it is what it is so keep your head down survive forget about any fantasies about victories much less a better future survival is the best you can do but they are told a story this story a story to help them remember that God is a creator God, a creator of new beginnings. God is a God that can create a new beginning out of utter chaos. A story that God is a God of love, not hate. Our God is a God of order, not disorder, not destruction, not violence. A God is a God of life, not death. A God that creates new beginnings. If you think about it, all our major religious events function in this way. Christmas is about hope and love and a new beginning in a violent world. Hope and love and a new beginning in a world that would tell your pregnant wife to go have her baby in a barn. The Easter story of a world that seems so bent on evil that it would kill its own Messiah, and yet it can't. There's resurrection. There's a new beginning. Pentecost and Lent, even Revelation and the Apocalypse itself are all stories about a God pulling life and light and new beginnings out of darkness and chaos. More and more I've become an admirer of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I think I especially needed to read about Dr. King this weekend. My wife and I... Uh, uh, well, my wife started and I got conscripted into the Daniel Fast, which is basically a no meat, no sugar, no dairy, no fun, okay? She's great. She's great about using it the way you're supposed to use it, a time of prayer, a time of, of focus on Scripture and God and me. I just get my little pity party going and so it helps me to read about Dr. Martin Luther King to let go of my little measly insignificant self-pity. It's really amazing when you think about it. What I've come to admire most 
was that more than anything, he would not give in to the hate. Black churches were being bombed. Churches were being bombed. And he would not give in to the hate. Black children, black children were being killed. But he would not give in to the hate. The hate was so great that white people were murdering white people who dared to stand up against the hate. He knew that he himself was hated deeply and profoundly, and it could well end, could well shorten his life, but he would not give in to the hate. He said that darkness cannot drive out the dark, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out the hate, only love can do that. Dr. King would not hate. But he was also not naive. He recognized and called out the evil in the world. He recognized and called out the injustice, the unfairness of the world. And he also called out those who by their silence empowered it. He said to ignore evil is to become an accomplice. He said that our lives begin and end the day that we become silent about the things that matter. He challenged in that love. He knew that the evil was so great it might just destroy him, but he would not hate the hateful. Now, where did he get all that from? Been reading his Bible. He spent a lifetime studying, embracing the way of the Bible, the way of love. The word of God which speaks. The word of God which is not the hate of the haters, but the illogical, risky, counterintuitive, hard work of love. Love brings order to the threatening chaos. Why did God create? Because God loves. Love creates a new beginning worth embracing. Now, I wrote a little letter. I don't think we've mailed it out yet. End of year. End of year finance uh, letter. And church, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. You've done awesome. We somehow finished the year in the black financially. In spite of a worldwide pandemic, we have continued to do, as Chandler has shown you, week after week, outreach and ministry. We decided we were not going to let this keep us from paying our missionaries. We pay our missionaries. We pay our apportionments. We support ministry. We do everything we can do to be the church. And yet, isn't it tempting to just kind of hang in there and wait for times to be better and then we really can be the church again, right? But we really are church right now. What will define us is not what we do when things are good, but what we do when things are at their worst. And so I think that's why we remember our baptism. 
Remember that we are bound in with this God of love and that to live out, to enjoy, to be baptized people is to to embrace that order and love and future is still possible through the power of God worked out through us. I think we can do it. I think we can embrace our baptism. I think we can remember who our God is. I think we can be different in the way God needs us to be different. I think we are still all in this together in such a way that this could be, as Churchill said, our finest hour as the people of God. Amen? Amen. We now uh, want to invite you to join us in remembering and, uh, and once again committing ourselves to our baptism.